Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 116th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast with a calm do attitude. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. Before we begin, a quick message from our sponsor, Face to Face Games. Face2FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face2Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling on a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTGCritic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander. And we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone. It's always a pleasure to check in with you, James, and hear about how things are in the uh, frozen white tundra of Canada. <laughs> you should come visit out here in sunny California. Are you going to Vegas, by the way? I meant to ask you before. Uh, that's still up in the air. I would love to. We'll see if it pulls. If I can pull it together from daddy land. From dad. Come on, man. I've got two and I'm going. Anyway. Ah, yours are older. Yours are older. That's true. Uh, I'm always glad to be here. We're going to share some valuable information. The show is sponsored, of course, by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, I think we've got, what, three segments this week? We have three segments this week. We don't have any last week to talk about since last week was the pre-release. Hopefully, everybody had a super awesome time because the set's super awesome. But we're going to talk about uh, the top movers this week and some kooky ones went moving. You and I have some picks to talk about. And then we're going to talk about what uh, Dominaria is doing for us. There's a there's a wave of excitement going on that I'm feeling. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling, I'm feeling it? it. Think, I'm feeling it because right, I'm feeling it. Feeling it. All right, let's dive right in on the top movers. So all sorts of interesting cards moved this week. I think there was actually over... 100 foils and non-foils that moved more than 15% this week. But as per usual, we're going through our curated list of the most interesting cards. Um, suffice to say, a whole bunch of legend stuff moved that we're not going to cover in here, but you can do your own research and see what's up. Um, so some of the more interesting things. Phyrexian Tower from Urza Saga moving from $40 to $55. That's a $15 gain, almost 40%. Phyrexian Tower is actually not on the reserve list, but it has never been reprinted. Um, and doesn't mean it never will be, but I think we're in this like post reserved list matters era where original printings may be enough, um, for some of these cards. It's hard to say. I mean, we've, we've seen reprintings of Sylvan library and yet the Sylvan library copy from legends made a major movement recently. Um, but on the flip side of things, we've seen Rashad and port get printed into M25 and, uh, wasteland be printed into eternal masters. And both of those exhibited drag on the original printings. So not clear how this plays out. If we see this card ever again, I don't know that we'd see it again, but, uh, I think this is more likely to catch people by surprise that it's not on the reserve list, considering that, uh, Tolarian Academy, Sarah Sanctum are, like other cards from that set that are rare lands. So uh, I forget what their original criteria was for being on the reserve list. I don't know if it was a price at the time or how widely it was played, but I just think that this is somebody starting to buy up these cards and they realized, oh, wait, it's not reserve list. I just should have thought about that more. I like. I, 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 think, I, I think it's a solid pick, so long as you don't know that the Phyrexian's on the horizon. If it's like Phyrexia versus Ravnica coming out in the fall or Phyrexians show up post-Bolas, which I could see easily being the case. Like when they defeat Nicol Bolas, that opens a big hole in the narrative. You need a big bad 
Phyrexians is something they're absolutely going to go back to at some point. Karn, uh, in the story uh, tidbits that we got for Karn, it mentions him needing to like correct past mistakes and and so forth. So that could easily reference like some return to Mirrodin or dealing with the Phyrexians in a future set. Um, and once I knew that it was on, on that it was on the horizon, I would start at least considering whether this might see a reprint. One of the the most prevalent or the most relevant issues um, with this particular card is: is it too good for modern? Right, like tap sack a creature might be too good. Um, Affinity would sure like to play it with all its zero drop creatures. Yeah, because it's tap sack at two mana, so like that feels like it can be busted in modern. Um, so I think the card is relatively safe. Um, however, the next one on this list is much more safe because it actually is reserve list. Yavimaya Hollow from uh, Urza's Destiny, moving from 35 to 50. Likewise, a $15 gain, but 42%. Um, this is a card that I expect to con- see continual slow, steady growth from here on out. It's an EDH card. It's a relatively unique effect being able to regenerate creatures. And because it's on the reserve list, it's going to continuously be drawn. The supply is going to be continuously drawn down upon as time goes on. Yeah, this is a pretty safe place to park your money. And it's a really annoying effect to see on the battlefield in Commander. Uh, a lot of Wraths in Commander don't care about regeneration anyway, but it's really handy for stuff that wants to target and get rid of. And the uh, I just don't like talking about this next card. So you can mention this one too. <laughs> You said you hate the art uninvoked prejudice because it looks like a bunch of clan members. That's exactly what it is, James. I don't know what you, but there's no, I mean, that's what it is. It's a bunch of people in white hoods and the card has gone from $275 to $400. It's on the reserve list. It's from Legends. Uh, I don't want to know why people are collecting this card and I'm just not really comfortable talking about it. So (laughs) if you have something you want to add, by all means, but I'm ready to move on. I don't think it's any more complicated than it's a rare from the first couple of years of Magic, um, and all of them have been targeted. Uh, it's not a card that sees a significant play pattern, really. Um, next on the list, we have a much more minor uh, movement uh, in uh, absolute terms, if not uh, percentage terms. Villainous Wealth foils from uh, Cons of Tarkir, uh, moving from $2 to $3. That does not really single signal much at all to me, except that we're now up to about 4,000 decks registered on EDH Rec for this card. Um, when your deck has a significant amount of mana and you happen to be playing in those colors, this card can do some very busted things. I have some Japanese foils that I paid too much for that are sitting in the bad spec box that would love to come out and play. So hopefully at some point this year we'll be talking about how it crests $10. Um, in the $3 zone, I'm not, it's not even worth dragging them out. I think that if you don't have any foils of this and you want to pick some up at three bucks, I am all over that. It is three colors and it's a pain. So you got to have a ton of mana out there, but there are plenty of decks that will do that. And this is just one of the more fun things you can do in Commander. Pick up your foils now. Yeah. And if, if it sees a reprint, I think it would be in Commander as a non foil. So yeah. foils are probably a relatively safe uh, place. 100%. Uh, so next on the list, we have Transmute Artifact, uh, another fairly uh, important reserve list uh, card. You know, it's tier three in terms of nostalgia value or something. Um, from Antiquities, moving from 125 to 200. I actually was up the night that the spike was going down and picked up three copies around 105 on eBay um, from overseas vendors. Um, feeling fairly confident that even if it retraces in the short term, this is going to, you know, post up above 150 and then steadily move towards 200 and beyond. 
I wish I could say that I thought that this madness of buying would would stop at some point, but it is not slowing down yet. So uh, if it's on the reserve list, um, I'm not the kind of player who easily will sink down money on a card I would never, ever play. And this is something that's very, uh, very niche. And if you want it, you can get it. Um, it's $200 for the reserve list card. There's a bunch of cards that'll do that. And whether this one has higher to go is the answer is probably a yes. Somebody else will attempt a buyout on the few copies left, and it might even push higher. We might be talking about this one in another three months as a $250 or $300 card. I mean, I'm not sure how niche this is, and it's EDH playable uh, artifact tutor in a format that is only going to get more and more artifact combo targets over time. Decks like Brea want to run this, Sheriman the Hegemon, Arkham Dagson, the list goes on. Um, All of these things are you know, true, but there's, there's no shortage of busted artifact tutors to have. This one is rather busted, I'll give you that, but I don't think it's $200 busted. This is just, again, the confluence of reserve list, super old card, some play is enough to keep the demand super high. Yeah, I mean, there's probably also some old school play value there too, right? So a couple of cards for, that are popper relevant, Snap, uh, Foils, and Gleeful Sabotage. Both moved from about $12 for the Foils to about, you know, just in the early 20s, $21, $22 for about a 70 or 80% gain. Definitely on the back of popper demand. That's pretty much the only place these are played where they are, rel- you know, pretty useful cards. And the popper uh, train moves on. Uh, anything, especially if it's only an, or, an old border foil, uh, even Gleevil Sabotage sees a surprising amount of play as one of the few ways to deal with uh, more than one artifact in one card. Yeah, and I got pr- very attractive rates uh, when I buy listed into Card Kingdom on some you know, things like tireless tribe foils and so forth that I just could not believe. Um, happy to play right into that, lean right into that popper uh, demand and <laughs> unload cards that had z- like literally zero chance of making me any money prior to that format taking off. Well, uh, a card that is going to make some people some money who just had it sitting in decks for a while. Volrash Stronghold uh, spiked from like 15 or 20 up to 35 a few months ago, and it has doubled up to $70. Uh, last summer, uh, it was a pick on this exact show, and I don't remember who it was. Uh, it was probably somebody smarter than me, but uh, I know that the two I have in two different decks are really thankful that people are going on the buyout spree. <laughs> Yeah, I, I pulled out a bunch of cards uh, from my Atraxa deck and added up the appreciation on them, and it was a disgusting <laughs> figure <laughs> just from the last six months um, after all the action targeting old school and reserve list cards. It's not done, um, brother. It's not done. Promos, masterpieces, etc. So the other one that made a big move this week that's on the reserve list, uh, Utterly Broken Land, um, Tol- Tolarian Academy. That was my pick last week, so here it is. Taking off from 35 to 70. Um, I'm assuming that some of that was people listening to the cast, but it's also, it was, you know, tipping point, which is why I mentioned it in the first place. Supply was already relatively low. The thing about this land is it's even more busted than Guy's Cradle, but the play pattern is significantly less because you can only really play it in Vintage. You, yeah, it's um, literally banned in Commander, so that's that's why yeah. the play pattern is so different. Yeah. 
um, because it, it there's just it's so easy to get a bunch of zero casting cost artifacts into play, and there are the cycle of artifact lands from Mirrodin, and the combination of all of that means you could be making some obscene amount of mana on turn one. Turn one, and then turn two, just name your busted choice, and uh, everybody else at the table is going to say, great, can we move on? No? Oh. Yeah, e- even in Europe, it's tough to pick up academies and, um, and make any money right now, so... And there's nothing left lying around in Japan. Um, this is this is a card that is pretty likely to hold true to its new plateau. One of these days, James, you have to sit down and uh, give everybody the list that you like to look at for different sites in other countries. Oh, yeah. I have a macro that opens in my browser that opens up like 22 different windows. And I can type in like a single card name and pop up the the page for it on all of the sites. <laughs> And it is a very useful tool. Um, so one of the side benefits of having programmers in my employ uh, <laughs> my, my, <laughs> that are smarter than me. Uh, mine's Dilation uh, from Eldritch Moon. The foils were a pick of mine recently as well. Here we have the non-foils moving. Um, I think it was. I think I give credit to Jason Alt for flagging this card originally maybe six to, six to nine months ago for me. Um, card is a really great blue finisher in EDH. Pretty unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon. Um, I like the foils more than the non-foils, obviously, but this is the nons moving from about three bucks to six bucks, so double up. Um, probably not going to be able to out them right away, but I expect buy lists to catch up in a couple of months, and at which point you might be able to get six to eight for them, um, which seems like a pretty good exit if you manage to put a little pile together. I can't argue. Uh, it's a, an outstanding card in every deck I've ever put it in, and I'm glad to see it getting the kind of price it deserves for the power it carries. Yeah, uh, exactly. So the next one on the list is pretty similar to the other lands we've been talking about from the reserve list. Sarah's Sanctum is EDH legal, um, and in there aren't that many decks in EDH that care about enchantments, but the ones that do certainly want a land that taps for one mana per enchantment, um, which is why this one is not moving from 35 to 70, but 70 to 200 on the back of being reserve list and EDH playable. Well, and the land, I'm not, I'm going to say lands, it's ley lines from uh, Legacy, where you just play all the ley lines, a bunch of Sarah Sanctums and Omniscience, and you just go to town. You've got three or four enchantments in play on turn one, drop Sarah Sanctum, Omniscience, go. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I have a feeling that deck is like, what? tier three in legacy it doesn't matter what tier it is the point is that there are some people who need four of them for their deck and they're going to pay as much as they want to to have the four and uh i would imagine that those people have uh, already gotten theirs but all it takes is somebody god forbid somebody do well on camera with ley lines mm-hmm. and then it's going to yep. be a 300 dollars card yeah yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think it does matter that it's on the fringes because I, you know, fully admit that it's a contributing factor. Um, but I would imagine that, A, reserve list targeting is the primary factor. Um, EDH is the is the most important secondary factor. And it's a nice, nice to have that if there's any legacy demand at all. Um, the next card on the list, I don't think it's played much of anywhere. Preacher on the reserve list from the dark, in theory, went from 25 to 80 this week. That would be one of the plateaus I would be most dubious about a card holding. <laughs> um, I don't know who's going to pay $80 for a Preacher, um, but I could see it holding 40 to 50 now that it's been this high. Um, 
if if you've ever tried to play with this card, and I have tried to play with this card more than once, uh, it's pretty bad. So it's going to take some real real legwork to uh, make you want to pay eighty dollars for a card that has this terrible of a uh, a play pattern. There's a uh, I want to say time spiral uh, instant that does the same thing. It has buyback. And it's much stronger, but still they get to pick the creature, and when the creature dies, it goes away. So it's not being bought up due to power. It's being bought up due to scarcity and reserve list and 93, 94, just like everything else that's been mentioned for, what, a year now? It feels like a year. It's probably more. Yeah. I mean, if you're holding a couple of preachers, hallelujah, um, you could sell into this hype and probably not to feel too bad about it. I would 100% do that. Um, I feel more. I, I feel that the next card on the list is more likely to hold its plateau. Mishra's Factory, the Fall Edition. There are four versions. The Winter one has made the biggest price movement, up over 500 recently, um, and is in the most in demand because it was of a high uh, a higher rarity than the others. Um, but the Fall Edition has moved from 40 to 120. Um, I think it's going to hold over 100 uh, because a lot of old school decks run the full four copies. And, you know, 93, 94 demand plus, you know, original printing targeting plus collectors, et cetera, I think is, is enough to keep these high now that they've been bought out. And uh, what's really notable, notable about this is how many other copies there are, I'm excuse, how many reprintings this has had. And this is pure collector at work. Uh, this is not like the card is super powerful. The card is super widely played. This is uh, com- collector collectors at their worst. Like, I have to have this card. Give me this card. I'll pay whatever for this card. And if you've got them, uh, would you sell your original factories at this point, or would you be holding, James? I've I've said that, like, reserve list in general is just a hold right now. This is not a reserve list card. But but I think 9394 original printings um, count in the same way. Okay. We've seen a number of them explode despite having tons of printing so like sylvan library has the original printing and legends has exploded all these versions original printings of factory have exploded and both have tons of printings there thereafter that are worth nothing so i think it matters that it's the first black border like 93 94 style printing for some of these really iconic cards and i don't think that even if factory gets reprinted tomorrow i don't think it has any impact whatsoever on this original set of prints that's fair uh, I would probably be holding as well. I don't think I'd be holding out for the winter versions, the winter heights of price, but I would probably be holding out for a bit more if I had originals. Well, I mean, my decision matrix for reserve list right now is could I make, if I think the card in question that I'm holding, let's say it's a Mox, Mox Ruby or whatever, and I got it at 1200 and market's about 16 and maybe next year it's going to be 22. I can do the math on that and figure out what I might achieve in a year by holding. And could I redirect those funds and go in and out of three or four other specs in the interim and then come back to the original card? And would I be any better off? If the answer is yes, then maybe I'll try that. If the answer is no, then I won't. And I think that the average player is you know, often going to be better off just holding because it's trickier to get in and out of multiple specs depending on your level of experience, time spent, research, networking, available funds, whatever. Um, so if you already have a, a, a healthy reserve list collection, unless you've got immediate cash needs, I you know, I don't think you need to be in any rush to exit. 
I agree with you completely, and that's really well-reasoned. I'm glad I asked you that question. So next on the list, we've got Psychotrope Thalid out of Planar Chaos, moving from $2 to $7. This is on the back of Slimefoot EDH, which is also the reason that Elvish Farmer, a rare from Fallen Empires, in theory moved from $1 to $10 this week. Um, I think we, we were both discussing before the cast how we had pulled these out of our own personal collections and <laughs> We will be so ecstatic if we get to sell them. Yep, I'm. Uh, I'm going to be listing my playset of Elvish Farmers on eBay tonight. I'm not going to lie, just going to. I think Elvish Farmer is going to see a retrace because the bulk guys are going to find the time to dig out that hundreds, if not thousands, of copies that have been languishing, and they will hit the market. I think you're underestimating um, the amount of uh, fallen empires that got destroyed because we hated it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think there's millions of Fallen Empires cards sitting around in people's bulk boxes that they have not been bothering to mine. Lots of people have Fallen Empire sets and collections that are sitting around, you know, boxes they popped 20 years ago that have just been sitting in the closet. And if they, once they, it, it occurs to them that there might be some relevant cards in there, they'll take a look and some cards will circulate back in. Slimefoot's going to be a popular commander, no doubt, but A, not everybody plays commander, and B, not everybody's going to play Slimefoot. So, and it's not like Elvish Farmer is suddenly turned on for a whole bunch of decks in EDH. It's just a Thalos card. So for as long as like Sapperlings are a thing, then there'll be Elvish Farmer demand. But I would expect by like a year from now when people have moved on to a bunch of other new, hot new commanders, um, Farmer will fall back down into the 4 to $5 range. That sounds about right, which is why they're going on eBay tonight. Uh, next, yeah. next up on our list is Power Conduit, and we're talking about the Mirrodin Uncommon, the non-foil version this time, has moved from a dollar to four fifty over the hype with Sagas, and I'm happy to say I wrote about this card about six weeks ago. Uh, I picked up a bunch of foils at uh, $5 and less, including a couple of Japanese ones. I think you and I might have nice. bought from the same eBay vendor at around the same time. Um what is there to say? This is the best way to deal with counters on any permanent. They have not printed many of these cards that say remove counters from a permanent. And this is the only universally colorless one. Uh, I used to play this card with Decree of Silence, and it's amazing there. But when you can keep your Saga at a certain level, and then your bonus is that you're taking a Saga counter off your History of Banalia and making the knight you had just made even bigger, it's really a great card. So I'm not surprised to see the non-foil popping, but I am quite leery of holding non-foils since this seems like a card that's going to end up in a commander deck again at some point. It's cute that it can like keep your creatures tapping for mana with Song of Fraley's until you're ready to go it, alpha. All of it is amazing. You can use it with any of the sagas you want. You can destroy all non-artifact creatures over and over again with the uh, Phyrexian Scriptures saga. The it just goes in any deck because it's colorless. You it's can, amazing. You can make chain. You can make chainers torment drain the table for two, um, for as long as you want without ever having to lose half your life total and make keep creatures. destroying lands. Yeah, I mean, just keep destroying all lands every turn. That'll that'll get your tires slashed at a, at your local store. So <laughs> be wary. Yeah, but and. And the cool thing about this card is, A, they're unlikely to reprint it anytime soon, especially not in foil, especially not in Japanese foil. They're also going to keep printing synergies for this card. Like, this won't be the last type, permanent type that makes this card useful. It's true. It's also, um, 
if you ever wanted to take counters off of a planeswalker, I can't imagine you would, but it even works with that. Uh, the only other colorless one is Giant Fan, and not every playgroup is cool with silver-bordered cards. I'm actually surprised we don't have a planeswalker yet who has tension holding you back from going up. I think the closest like, one is Sarkin the Mad, who could only go down. Well, it would be interesting if there was a Planeswalker that automatically went up every turn and something very bad happened if it got to a certain level. And the only way you could the only way you could make it go down is if you had certain conditions on board. Like you could sack it was like minus minus one sack a creature. So if you run out of creatures, he starts getting out of control. Somebody who gets overpowered and then destroys himself and the rest of your board or something. Sure. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Um, anyway, so last on the list, we have Fecundity, um, 8th Commander 2013, and Saga Editions moving from about 50 cents to $5 for almost a 900% gain if it holds that plateau. Um, on the back of a modern, modern goblin bruise that looked to chain a whole bunch of goblins and sack them to the Fecundity to draw more goblins and go all sorts of crazy. You left out the re- the addition of Skirt Prospector to Modern, which was not legal up until yep. now, and I, that was really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a part of it, but now it has an engine, and it has fuel for the engine, and we're going to see where Modern Goblins can go. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I think Jim Davis was writing about this on Star City Games last week. Um, and basically, it's like Fecundity, Manamorphose, Dragon Fodder, Empty the Warrens, Faithless Looting, Hordling Outburst, Infernal Plunge, Skirk Prospector, Mog War Mar- Marshal, Mog Fanatic, and Goblin Bushwhacker. So it's almost like Goblin Storm. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Oh my god. You cast like a whole bunch of Goblin cards and then finish with an Empty the Warrens and you are like have a crap ton of Goblins on the table. That sounds pretty fun. I might, I'm going to go look that up. Yeah. All right, so moving on into our Cards to Watch segment this week. Last week I called out uh, Russian Kaladesh booster boxes as extremely likely to get from 100, 110 up to 200, probably in the mid to long term. Let's call that a 6 to 18 month hold. Um, But I've been talking to a lot of people this week, and major forces are trying to corner the market on Kaladesh boxes in general, not just Russian ones, but English ones as well. They are really drying up under $100. And I think if you've got any access to some locally, so strange to be saying this, but you can get buy, go ahead and invest in a standard legal booster box before it has even rotated. And I have a feeling that you are going to do all right. That's quite a bold statement. Do you know when they stopped printing Kaladesh? I don't, but I know that the supply has drained so much lower than we've seen any in print or or still legal standard set in ages and ages and ages. Like the, the, the lottery ticket power of the Masterpiece series and people wanting to chase that down the road, plus all of the EDH artifact goodies that are in Kaladesh, um, suggests to me that while EV is not likely to bear out people chasing down these boxes for quite some time, um, the, the latent demand f- to you know roll the dice and try to fish out a, ma- a Masterpiece Soul Ring that might end up being worth... $500 or whatever um, is going to drive a lot of speculation on this set. Somebody told me they bought like a hundred boxes. <laughs> so, but they're not going to crack the hundred boxes. They're going to sell the hundred boxes to people who are hoping to open those things. It's the same thing behind uh, buying uh, loose boosters of like unlimited or beta or whatever. You're, you're paying a ridiculous amount on the chance of the one or two cards that will pay you back. And all the rest is a loss. Absolutely. 
but at least with Kaladesh, like you, no one's going to draft a box of revised, right? But you could, you can, you could draft a box of Kaladesh as your backup plan. And, you know, at most on a box of Kaladesh, given what else is in it, you might lose 20, 30, $40. Um, depending on what you get in at, like I was buying, I bought Russian boxes this morning with the 15% off coupon that was on the eBay app for 92. I feel very confident that I can sell, trade, pop, whatever. It's going to work out just fine. Um, and there's no rush to do any of the above because the set's not going to go back into print. Um, the, so I think like it's not a top priority spec for me. I think there are better things, just booster boxes in general, because you got to ship them and pay for a heavy thing instead of a card. It's just generally has more drag on it. But, you know, if you're a big fan of the set or you want to go fishing for masterpieces down the road, or you just, you know, you, you want to keep your speculation, you know, one click easy. I think you could do a lot worse than leveraging a coupon or a local sale on some of these boxes. Um, I'm with you. Uh, we've seen the big spikes on almost all the masterpieces lately, and that's going to put Kaladesh and, I guess, to a lesser extent, Ether Revolt on the uh, on the radar. We're not seeing commensurate yep. movement with the other in with the other masterpieces yet, with uh, Battle for Zendikar and for Emonket. Ah, uh, no, actually, I think where this started was we did see movement on BFC. BFC boxes have actually been moving up over 100 as well despite the fact that their EV is truly atrocious. Like, I think the EV of a BFC box is somewhere between 30 and 40 US. There's basically <laughs> nothing in that set if you don't pull an expedition, me. right? Hold on. I need to go look up aggregate value of uh, Battle for Zendikar, like, right now. And... Yeah, it's really low. I'll, I'll, I'll triangulate that for you with Battle for Zendikar booster box prices on eBay. So the lowest price I can find right now on eBay is about 100 bucks. So for a set that has an EV that's like less than a third of that or less less than 40% of that, um, pretty astonishing because these these boxes were commonly available for 65 to 70, not so long. There are two cards over, three cards over $4 right now in Battle for Zendikar. <laughs> Drana, Gideon, and Ulamog. Right. So people are stockpiling these boxes hoping people are going to go fishing for expeditions as well. I don't think we're going to see the same movement on the invocation boxes, but there is a there is a, an additional factor with at least Hour of Devastation because the rumor is that Hour of Devastation went off the presses faster because standard wasn't yeah. doing well and nobody liked that set. <laughs> so, um, it's possible that that there may end up actually being less of the invocations in the market. That's obviously going to be counterbalanced by less yeah. So, you know, there's there's some counterplay there, but we've already seen movement on some invocations. So the, those boxes could chase down the road. We'll see. Um, for now, I would say focus on Kaladesh because it's the strongest set of all of them anyway. And the masterpieces are the I mean, the, the inventions right. are the strongest masterpieces. Um, because the thing with like the expeditions is that the, the fetches are very strong on par with, you know, soul rings and mox opals and whatever. But there's also a bunch of like things like Sunken Hollow. I hate I hate any idea where you're just telling people lottery ticket. I would rather just take the hundred bucks and spend it on a third of them. I'd rather buy even a soul ring. What's Masterpiece Soul Ring at? Like three now? Four? So I'd rather just drop four hundred bucks and know I'm gonna get it rather than scratch that lottery ticket urge. But it, I, I see what you're saying, and I'm not well, I'm not telling people to pop them. I'm telling them to flip them. Popping's a bad idea. 
<laughs> let's let's put it this way. I, I've opened many boxes of Kaladesh, maybe five, and I've never opened a masterpiece. So the I, I've opened an expedition and an invocation at drafts and pre-releases, but I've never found a masterpiece invention in a box in my Russian boxes of Kaladesh. Now, fortunately, I found other sexy Russian foils, um, so it was fine. But yeah, the going. It's not good financial, sound financial advice to pop these booster boxes. <laughs> yes. Or just, or trade them or whatever, or, or host a draft not for or whatever. The, I just like, I think we're going to see, we're going to buck the trend. The last five years has very much been about like the, the, the standard advice being don't get into booster boxes. And I think we're going to see a turning point related to the master pieces specifically. Um, I also think it means that sets like Shadow over Innistrad <laughs> are going to be like Theros, right? Like low EV and no masterpieces means languishing forever. Um, Eldritch Moon will be a little different because there's a ton of value in that set. Just a lot of great modern cards. Um, but this is this is something that will be very interesting to watch play out. Like, can you imagine if Dominaria had had masterpieces? My first pick this week is a much more modest choice than uh, picking up a uh, box of Kaladesh. I like Hadana's Climb and Foil. Uh, right now it's at maximum supply and uh, we're getting away from everything Ixalan. I don't think anyone's going to ever draft Ixalan ever again. Um, it's right now $6. I think you'll be able to let it go at around 15 uh, within a year because it is so good in the decks that really want this effect, these free counters, whether you're playing an Experiment Kraj deck, an Azuri deck, uh, you're doing something with, um, who's the guy that, uh, Vorel, the whole clip, you can name your choice with the counters, and the, the effect is just game-winning, flying and getting huge. So I'm in on foils. I like double, I liked all the double-sided foils, but especially this one being relatively cheap. This wasn't really on my radar, but I have seen that it's getting some standard play and the foil supply is not all that deep. There also, I don't believe for rivals, we had buy a box promos, right? Right. Um, so there's no mapster pieces like there are in Ixalan. Pause, pause for a second. What did you just say? Mapster pieces. I have to give credit to Derek Madlam on Twitter, um, XMTG price writer, for coining this term, which I have immediately adopted. Um, I had not heard this term, and I don't. Uh, I'm real ambivalent on this term. But continue with your thought. I wanted to make sure I heard what I heard. So the story goes that the um, buy a box promos that were released for the Black Friday promo boosters um, for Ixalan to help sell the set were, in fact, originally commissioned as masterpieces. Um, and they changed their mind when there was all the the hubbubaloo in the spring, early summer um, about the invocations. And they realized that they needed to back down off the masterpiece ledge and, and space that out a little more. And so you can actually, it's pretty obvious when you look at them that those buy box promos were intended as masterpieces, the way that they're designed, like fits in perfectly with that program. Um, and Mero had actually confirmed it on Blogatog or whatever, um, that that was their original intention. So, because of the way that they were distributed, um, you know, it was like a single week or a couple of week period where only WPN network stores got access to these cards. There are actually less of the buy a box promos than there are of any other masterpiece. And there is already a lot of chatter about how few masterpieces there are rel 
relative to say something like revised dual lands. Um, there might be like 10 to 50 times more like bayous than there are masterpiece silvering. So despite the like gap in time between them. And there are even less of things like the Biobox promo growing rights of Itlamok and search for Azkanta and even less still of the Japanese versions of those cards that most people don't even realize exist because they were only distributed at stores in Japan. So I've been telling everybody to go track down that Japanese map-sided mapsterpiece uh, search for Azkanta because that is by far the rarest and likely to be the most valuable um, masterpiece uh, of the masterpiece series some total down the road and even if it doesn't exceed opal and soul ring it should be able to get up pretty close i will tell you that uh one of the ebay coupons uh, a few months ago i picked up a growing rights and a search for his conta buy a box version i i didn't know there was a japanese one to look for and i was pretty happy that i have these versions for my edh decks because they just seem like slam dunk picks for the future yeah, I mean, I love the the English versions, of course, but the Japanese are snap buys wherever you see them. I've had a few different listeners after I called it say that they picked them up at Haruyuya. Uh, I've picked up a couple on MKM, but they're very rare. Like, obviously, <laughs> the Japanese are tend to be, you know, tend to be like on the cutting edge of tech. And Search for Azkante is a pretty techy, you know, technical play card and very unlikely to leave collections in Japan very often so i don't think we're going to see too many of them and i think it's going to be a pretty big deal card down the road all right uh what's your next pick this week james so i think that given the early lists we've seen that are 5-0ing on magic online um and the articles that pros are writing about the new standard which looks to have a, a pretty diverse uh set of potential decks um, Karn Scion of Urza has been showing up left, right, and center in all sorts of different builds. 5 0 leagues as black, red vehicles and mid range builds and control builds. Um, I've been talking to people that think it's playable in Legacy and Vintage, where your, his casting cost is effectively two or three um, based on the number, you know, how fast you can bring uh, five mana to bear. Um, and his flexibility and interactions with artifacts make him potentially interesting in modern, although I think that's the format where he has the, the least likelihood of success. Um, certainly in EDH, people will find homes for him. And, you know, you, you and I were talking about this before the cast about how Dominary is so popular that there's going to be a tremendous amount of product in play. People buying more, loving it more, means that prices should fall pretty hard and that pre-order prices are unlikely, especially for hyped cards, are unlikely to be um, something you want to lean into. But the thing is, you can get like copies of Karn for about 40 bucks today. Um, hype is building, so it may go even higher. If you get a chance to get play sets in the like 120 to $140 range this weekend, I think that there's a pretty good chance that that's a buy-in price um, because I think that Karn could very easily be the first Mythic in a while to hit $50 while it's in print and end up being a $200 playset and give you a nice little flip with, say, a 20 to 35% margin in a fairly short period of time. Um, one of the reasons I think that could happen is because apparently the initial allocations of Dominaria are sold out. So, and the way Wizards works this system is that, and they've done this many times in the past, is they deliberately submarine initial supply so that hype builds up and demand builds up, and then they feed it 
in the second, third, and fourth waves of allocation down the road. But you might get a couple of weeks there where people are trying to buy cards to build decks and showing up at major events, looking to buy cards off the floor, and a card like Karn could easily spike in those conditions if it fits in a whole bunch of decks at once. So I'm awfully hesitant to buy something this early, but I see what you're saying about how, especially we're going into this first weekend, uh, we're recording on a Thursday night, we're going to get our first major events this weekend with uh, Dominaria being paper legal. Uh, this absolutely could hit the $50 spike or even $60 spike based on first weekend hype. If we're seeing a bunch of decks do well that have uh, been running for card. I, I don't know that everybody is ready to buy today on eBay or whatever, and then be ready to flip it within a one to two week period. Because I don't, I don't know what Wizards turnaround time is. But I can't see Karn holding that price for long when it's going to be opened up at uh, Grand Prix like crazy. There's going everybody's drafting it. My local store is going to start doing weekday drafts for the first time in six months. You know they didn't do. The thing is, if if you if you pop it and draft and you're playing standard, you're not going to get rid That's of it. True. Because m- many of the decks want it. If he. I would compare it to something like Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. That was a fall set mythic, dominant in its time slot. Um and had trouble getting up over 40. The difference there is that Gideon didn't fit into as many decks and wasn't cross-format playable immediately. Like, Gideon sees some minor amount of play in Modern and is playable in EDH, um, but it's not great in either of those formats um, in the way that Karn might be in multiple formats. So... There's no guarantees here. This one is one where you're really going to have to feel it out. You need to watch, see how the price is evolving over the next few days. Um, it's not a slam dog automatic win. It is very much about keeping your ear to the ground and have, getting a feel for how things are developing. But if if it's correct that that the set is sold out for the next few weeks and this is going to be the most important card in, in standard, keep in mind there's also additional brawl demand now. So brawl, uh, because you can have planeswalkers as commanders karn might just be a uh, one of the commanders that people are building around which makes him an auto include obviously um or it could just be included in deck in deck because he's colorless he can fit into any of the decks that might need the card draw and selection and or whatever um there's a lot of factors in play and i think it could be a card that makes people some money i can't disagree with all of that um I, yeah, if you're ready to dive in on that and you're ready to flip with uh, with some speed, I don't think he could hold that price in, say, two months when we've hit our second wave of Dominaria and everything. But I do think you're probably right. There's going to be a window. If you can get in and get out at the right times, then you're, you're going to turn a profit. I agree with you on that. Also, if you're just talking about acquiring your copies, oh yeah, if you're going to play it, soon, um, you should get it right even, now. Even if it's going to, even if it's going to get lower later, if you need Karns now, like <laughs> then you need Karns now. And he's and he's not. I don't think he's going to get. Uh, I don't think he's going to hit twenty next week. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, a ton of this product is being opened, but this I expect this to be the card that leads the charge with Mox Amber not too too far behind. Um, Mox Amber requires a very specific deck construction built around legendary permanents and creatures, um, whereas Karn does not. So Mox Amber has, the archetype that uses Mox Amber has to be successful in standard and or modern for that card to hold a high value. But Karn just needs to be great in a couple of standard decks 
and supply to be constrained for some period of time. For and it's worth noting that Mox Amber and Karn do not play nice. <laughs> yeah, Karn lets you make uh, yeah. no color. I don't, I don't think that, that works together because it says a color and Karn has no color. Yeah, so that those are not do not seem to interact well. My next pick this week is Sunbird's Invocation out of Ixalan. I also like foils on this. It's already a seven dollar card. Uh, I think that uh, it's going to be eventually a twenty dollar card. I don't think it's going to happen in the next twelve months or so, but eventually it's going to climb, climb, climb. This is the kind of card that's going to get reprinted in a commander deck as a non foil, and people are going to want the foil versions. I don't know if you've ever played with this card. It is the most fun you can have in Commander. It is the one of the ultimate win more cards, and there's nothing better I like doing than winning more. There's not much else I can say about that. I've already got two foils in uh, different decks that play lots of creatures and just want to keep playing more. So it's a, a really good time there. Yeah, uh, Jim Casale has been on this uh, card for a while. It's on my radar. Um, I wasn't clear... It wasn't a priority yet because it didn't seem like it was at its tipping point, but the ramp is looking reasonable. Like supply is pr- still pretty deep between five and say eight dollars, um, but I would expect a month, two months, maybe three months out, the we're going to be pretty close to where I'm going to call it as a tipping point card. Um, it is likely to end up with say ten thousand decks on EDH within the year. Um, it does a bunch of bunch of busted things. And uh, red decks, you know, can use these kind of top end effects to, you know, make splashy um, late game plays. It it's that and a t- uh, a tally the, the primal, primal storm, yeah. storm is that the card? Yeah, that that were you know flags from Exelon block for me as you know ready EDH cards yeah. where foils were going to matter. Uh, tell us about your next pick, James, because this is something you and I had talked about a little bit before, and uh, I'm. I'm with you on this, even at the, uh, the, it's making me flinch. There's no way around it. I'm just, the, yes. the, the, the lofty buy-in. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like the casual speculator that is going to make this purchase, but so as of this morning, I have like $3,200 plus in buy list credit with a prominent vendor. And I was trying to figure out what major reserveless cards I'm supposed to be moving into with that. And the decision matrix I'm using is, um, there's been a lot of like movement in prices for power and tier two, like, uh, reserve list stuff lately. Um, and so vendors are getting pretty like assertive about posting up prices that are where the market's going to be in a few months, as opposed to where they are now, because they see no r- rush to out the inventory. So for instance, like vendors are posting up $2,000, you know, buy prices for, or, sorry, sell prices for say something like unlimited mocks Ruby that, in the open market, player to player purchase on a Facebook group or something, you might be able to get it for fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred or something. But the vendors don't see any need to sell at that price because they're they have trouble getting their hands on really nice copies. And if they've got anything that looks particularly nice, they could send it off for grading, et cetera, and get even higher value. Um, so there's a whole bunch of options from this vendor, but not all of them um, are equally attractive what i the way i narrowed down the list was to look at which cards are posted at a price pretty close to what the rest of the market agrees the price is right now but that could almost certainly appreciate throughout the rest of this year because it hasn't seen a major move lately 
And I think one of those cards is Library of Alexandria. Um, I'd get pick this to move mid to long, but it could move in the short term. Um, if you can get a copy in the thousand to twelve hundred dollar range, I think you're in pretty good shape for it to post up over fifteen hundred within, you know, six to twelve months. Certainly eighteen months. Um, it's one of these like you know, not power nine, but this was this was the, the next power, level dude. below this, that for sure. Don't undersell this card. It is the tenth piece of power. Yeah, it's utterly busted in control decks in vintage and. The any deck that can hold keep seven cards in hand. This is just drawing extra cards every turn, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, tap draw card um, is silly, and always has been. And I could get like three LP copies in and around eleven hundred or something for with my buy list credit. And I have a feeling that might be the best. I option. have to say, with uh, a year ago, I would have said you're crazy or 18 months or something like that. But at this point with um, the way prices are moving, we haven't seen the huge jumps in this level of card. We haven't seen uh, moxes jump up by that, by huge, by huge leaps and bounds. It's just been a steady growth. And I think uh, this one's due. And I a hundred percent agree with you. Even if the, the scale of the buy-in uh, is kind of terrifying to me. So I'm I'm with you. If I had it, I would do it. And if you are listening out there and you want to pick up your near mint one for a grand to 1200, I would do that. And I would hold on and I would uh, say that one day I'm going to sell this for a couple grand and you're going to look back and say, hey, Cliff and James are geniuses. There was significantly less Arabian Nights printed than Antiquities and uh, Unlimited and legends. Um, so that matters. And library seems overdue. There's no way it's going down in price anytime soon. Um, so at worst it's holding, it's going to hold steady or beat inflation that I feel very confident in. Um, so yeah, I, I, the other thing I was looking at was like a beta tropical last time I got a beta tundra. The thing is that I worry about those going from like twenty five hundred to three thousand no, slowly over if time. If you're looking for, uh, if you're going to play with it, I would get the beta trop. If you're looking for the value, I would get the uh, library. That's that's due sometime in the next year for a several hundred dollar correction, I think. See, yeah, the beta dual lands have some like EDH, oh my God, dude. like high yes. roller demand. So so there's so there is that backstop with you know, beta duels. Um, because as EDH gets more and more ground, like tarmac under its wheels, um, more and more people are deeply investing in the format. And th there are way more EDH players yes. than there are vintage players, right? Like <laughs> vintage and legacy players don't like to ex like <laughs> have trouble publicly accepting what's going on. But the future of magic is much more casual than it is like, eternal competitive and so you can't play library correct in banned. edh right it's banned but you can <laughs> play a beta trop so i don't know i, I i'm on the fence I, I think they're both good i think it's a lot easier for a card to go from a thousand to fifteen three times over than it is for a twenty five hundred dollar card let to me, go to 75. Uh, let me expand on your point just briefly about uh legacy and vintage versus commander players uh my local shop 
the uh, Commander Knight uh, is the same knight as Legacy Knight. And there's more than one uh, Legacy player who has a Commander deck that they built to make sure that nobody ever asks them to play Commander again. And they'll just play every dumb, busted blue card alongside. It's always either Teferi or Jace Friend's Prodigy. And by the end of things, you just want to just walk away and never touch another magic card again. They're very good at what they do. So I agree with you that there's this uh, interesting tension between the two. And at any rate, I I can't argue with either one of those picks. But if you want the, the one that's going to go up sooner and in a, a greater percentage, it's definitely going to be Library. My last pick this week is Azusa Lost But Seeking. Uh, the Masters 25 version is down to $17. Uh, she was a card that had hit some lofty heights before she got reprinted. I really like how she plays with the new uncommon merfolk whose name escapes me. Uh, Tatiova. Tatiova, the uh, Benthic Druid. She is, the, the two of them oh, yeah. are just going to be BFFs forever. And right now, all the hype is on Slimefoot and what Slimefoot can do. But uh, as Jason said this week, uh, Tatiova is uh, uh, surprisingly popular among Dominaria. And that's just in pre-release week. So I think this is getting ahead of the curve on what's going to be the next big deck. It's unfortunate from a speculation perspective, how many cool cards are uncommons that could have been rares or mythics? (laughs) That particular... Uh, EDH-focused card, gain a life, draw a card every time you play a land is insane in EDH. Fits into so many relevant decks and a bunch of future ones, I'm sure. And either as a commander or a part of the 99. And her as an uncommon makes it a little oh, tricky yeah, to would, go in on the foils. There's not, uh, I don't, wouldn't be going um, in on the foils for Tatiova at all. There's, uh, We've already talked we're going to talk about how much Dominaria is going to get opened, and uh, we'll we'll see what the prices end up at. But right now, they're super skewed just by people who opened them at the pre-release. Uh, you can't legally, uh, they can't ship orders until tomorrow, right? Or the twenty seventh, the Friday, right? So, I did look at a Russian foil of that card, though. <laughs> and how much was it going for? I think they wanted. Fourteen dollars, which I think is fine, actually. That's a that's a pretty reasonable price. You might be able to get it for ten if you waited, but I don't. I wouldn't. That's splitting hairs. I mean, you're you're picking that up on hopes of it being like a thirty or forty dollar card in a while. But yeah, I'm hesitant on and, and a current uncommon, especially as we're going to discuss the uncommons in Dominaria are ridiculous. Yeah. Side note, I'm hearing that Russian boxes are being targeted early. I'm having trouble getting them from my usual sources, um, where I usually get them for 90 bucks, no problem, as many as I want. Um, and there are relatively few listed on eBay under 120. So, Somebody's been listening to you. Somebody's been listening to the cast. That's what it is. We'll see how that develops. Well, I know for a fact that at least Jeremy over at uh, Cartel Aristocrats, he's also a Russian foil collector, and he's going after Russian boxes. And I think it's a, a slick move. Um, there really just aren't that many Russian boxes printed total, right? Like the Russian market is not that large. Um, and there will be, you know, some some really good deals in Russian foils as the next several weeks uh, roll out. One of the tips I can give people is that you want to be trolling eBay, like newly listed bins between like 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time often to to see the best Russian deals float past you on screen. However, 
We're all the way back to Asusa. Asusa foils from M25 look pretty tasty. Um, I can't find many copies under $25, but even at $25, she's likely to post up, say, a $20 gain over 12 to 18 months. She's got the judge foil printing from, you know, not so long ago that pr- provides a bit of a ceiling. Like, I think it goes for $45 or $50. Right. But as the M25s approach that value and the judge foils continue to drain, I suspect that both might be able to break past, given enough time. Uh, having the judge foil and then you have the original Kamigawa foil, the watermark didn't turn out to be the huge thing that I was kind of hoping it would be. I know it was uh, big on your list, too, for things to watch out for in M25. But um, I just think that the the more immediate gain is going to be in the non-foils, and you'll have a choice of foils to chase. Yes, you can get the foils for 30-ish, but those really have a the, the ceiling of the previous foil and the judge foil to watch out for. And so I feel like the non-foils in this case... Um, oh, I see. I didn't realize you were talking about the yeah, non-foils. Yeah, I, I didn't click that so, on, the, uh, on the box. Let me change that in right now. So given that it's only like a plus $7 to get from non-foil to foil, I think I would go foil. You're probably right on that too. Like that's that's not at all a tremendous multiplier. And the thing about M25, right, is a lot of that product is sitting at distributors, not moving and not getting opened. When a set is really bad or or maligned or we're in a situation like what happened where you know, two weeks into negative feedback on M25, Wizards flips the script and suddenly we're talking about Dominaria for six weeks. Um, that means less of it got bought. So the inventory for M25, important M25 cards, is going to be way lower a year out from now than Dominaria, which is going to get opened and opened and opened and opened as they resolve the initial supply chain issues. Well, whether they're artificial or not. Um so yeah, I, I could see, and Asusa is a card that's useful in Commander and useful in EDH. Uh, sorry, uh, in Modern. So between the two of them, plenty of demand long term, and because it's been printed so much lately, Judge Foil and M twenty five, I don't think we'll see it again for five years. That seems reasonable. I didn't know that Judge Foil used the exact same art as the M twenty five either. Huh. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's relevant. I, I, I should actually look and see what the judge foils go for over in Europe because I suspect they're even I'm looking cheaper. at uh, some judge foils on a major site for 40 right now, and that's really tempting. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's rock solid, actually. Mm. I mean, I think these are this isn't like you can flip it in three months, like it's a yeah. longer term hold, but but it's you know, it depending on you know your your activity profile, you may not be able to flip things quicker no I, but anyway. i mean you you're exactly right i could get the uh non-foil kamigawa version for 25 or i can get the judge foil for 40 that's an easy choice turns out i can get the judge foils in europe for about 34 um that so that's hot. pretty hot all right james let's move on to uh dominaria we don't have any uh new tournaments to talk about yet last weekend was a pre-release uh, there's all kinds of good stuff going. I am, have you done any drafts on Magic Online or anything? No, I played Two-Headed Giant at the pre-release last weekend and had a ridiculously busted deck that had the Cabal Knight guy, the 4-2 that drains the opponent for four <laughs> when you play uh, a historic spell. And I had the Chainer's Torment 
what's the one with Nicol Bolas on the side? Oh, Let me just bring oh, up the, the card list here. Yeah, I had that one too. <laughs> and Yogmoth's Vile Offering. And two copies of the Black White Vampire 3 3 for 5 that makes all of your uh, Legends plus 2 plus 2. Arvad the Cursed, who's yeah, Death Touch Life. a lot of abilities on an uncommon. Yeah, and I had the two mana black kill spell, the four mana exile white kill spell. Like my deck was just ridiculous, um, especially in in the context of two headed. One giant. of the things that uh, I'm noticing both in my uh, talking to people at pre releases and reading about it this week, uh, the set is slower than it might have seemed at first blush, and in limited. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be a real selling point considering how linear and unfun a lot of the Exelon games were. Or like you were dead on like turn three because their Merfolk deck just ran your face over. And uh, I think this is going to be one of their best-selling sets in a while. They had a uh, the call this week, the, the investors call, where they lost like Magic and other gaming brands lost 20% compared to last year. Am I remembering that right? Uh, so yeah. I think that we're going to see a, a lovely bump uh, this year because Dominaria is going to blow everything away. And like you're saying earlier, uh, it's outsold their first wave and they're going to get into a second wave and probably into a third if they've sold their first wave before even the first Grand Prix is hit. Yeah, I mean, the Hasbro got nailed. <laughs> Some of that was seemed to be related to Toys R Us problems. Um, it's not clear. I haven't dug deep on that data yet to see how much uh, seems to be laid at the feet of Magic the brand, um, having troubles last year with standard and bannings and so on and so forth, um, and leading to reduced sales. The fact that Our Devastation came off the printers early suggests that at least some of the blame is with Magic. Um, but I suspect it's you know an organization-wide uh, thing, an industry-wide thing, really. Um, and yes, I think Dominaria is going to be a bright spot in this quarter. Um, so when we're looking at Dominaria, and we, we alluded to most of this um, before, but it's worth restating, super popular set means that once you get past whatever supply constraints are in place, cards should crater heading into early summer, opening up some very good deals. Um, there's traditionally been like a Star City Games midsummer sale and stuff that that has provided excellent prices on like standard foils and so forth. Um, and while I expect there are some cards that could make people money and break out because they're underestimated um, or because they're just so prevalent um, across multiple formats. So I think like my, you know, for instance, Mox, uh, Mox Amber. Uh, Amber. Yeah. Mox Amber and Karn would, are the two two cards I think could break out fast and early if they take a foothold other in places other than Brawl and Standard. Um Few other cards that have caught my eye include yes. Lyra Dawnbringer. Uh, Baneslayer Angel has been excellent before <laughs> and could well be excellent again. Um, it's Flying First Strike, Lifelink 5 5. Um, that blocks a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff profitably. What an understatement that is. In standard. Yeah. Um, Urza's Ruinous Blast. Um, would be more interesting at Mythic than it is at Rare, but I think that in certain decks, it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be a one-sided Wrath where all of your um, legendary permanents stay in play and all of their shit goes away. Um, that could be a thing in Standard. I don't I don't know how many copies you have to play before that matters, probably like four. 
Um, but it's, it's at least on my radar as, as a powerful card. Um, I think Goblin Chain Whirler in Modern could end up being a thing. The card does a lot for three mana. First Strike 3-3 three, three blocks a lot of stuff. Um, dealing one damage to each opponent and each creature and Planeswalker they control um, is a lot of reach for a comes into playability that Red often doesn't what have these days. What I keep noticing is, um, I can't remember the last time I looked at a set, especially even though this is you know right before everybody gets, uh, we've already gotten a lot of copies into the market because they decided to allow the pre, pre-sale boxes to be picked up on pre-release weekend. That's a new thing for them, and they're putting more copy, more cards on the market a week earlier in paper. And we're still seeing these like this like forty dollar Karn, uh, a twenty eight dollar Mox Amber, and a lot of cards that are still super pricey. Now some of them have taken uh, a dive, like Jaya Ballard. Um, she's down to uh, under seven, uh, but we're seeing a lot of these, and they're. I used to think that it was nowhere to go but down. And there'd be one, maybe two cards that were going to go up. And I think that this weekend we're going to see several cards really go high. And I'm not sure which ones is the problem. Uh, whatever we see first on uh, on a stream, I suppose. Well, well, we've got we've already got early early results from from Magic Online of lists that are five owing, and so some cards that other cards that are on my radar include History of Benalia. That's a mythic. It doesn't look like a mythic, but it is. Um, unassuming when it was first revealed, and because of that, a card that's been underestimated. For three mana, you're making two two knights with vigilance two turns in a row. But yeah. picture when you go that into another one of that. So on the first turn, you make a knight. The second turn, you make two knights. And then the third turn, you make a knight. And all of the previous knights get the plus two, plus one. And then the turn after that, they get the plus two, plus one again. So being able to go back to back on this is so good that you run four of it when you run it. And it's a four of mythic, therefore. And if that's playable in both standard and modern, then this card could spike as well. Right now, it's at $18. That's not a great buy-in for a mythic that's about to see a lot of supply. But again, if you believe that this is going to be an important card in standard and maybe in modern in a white weenie deck, um, that exists in tier three or something. Um, I think the standard demand alone, if the deck is good or there are a couple of decks running it and they're both running four ofs, could be enough to push this up to 30 in the short term. The last thing uh, takes I wanted to bring up is that Firesong and Sunspeaker is creeping upward. And the people who really wanted it immediately are paying for it. The I'm really nervous about this being a thing. And uh, no, no, in, in just in Magic, where like you can only get this card by buying a box. In Standard? You know, you only have this out. And granted, like this, you'll print the non-foil version in a Commander set in August, maybe. But uh, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like this for card availability at all. I don't care that it's not a good card this time. But what happens when they inevitably screw up and it is a good card? Um. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody's been saying. And I think that it's a valid point if they screw up. And until that point, it's a non-issue. The This card is not even important in EDH, I don't think, um, because it doesn't break, it doesn't give Boros players a tremendously great reason to play it. Um, and 
while I expect the card will appreciate in value over time because so many people are clinging to it. Like somebody told me on Twitter today, that seems silly. the only reason they bought a box was to get this card to spec on. Yeah. And I was like, what? Wait, no, that math doesn't add up. If that's your only utility you're you're deriving from that transaction. If you wanted a box anyway, then it's a different matter. But I, I think it's fine for Wizards to say, you should support your local game stores. And if you want to get cool shit from us that you can't get anywhere else, the way we you have to earn that is by buying a minimum of a box. And it's not going to be something you have to have to play the game. You know, they're not going to put Karn in that slot. Um. But we'll throw some stuff out there. Now, I actually believe that I, I think it's very strange that they haven't retraced to the days of the Magic Player Rewards program. And for people that are newer players, let me break this down for you. There, there used to be a thing where depending on how much activity you had in the tournament scene, like how many drafts and tournaments you played, you racked up points. And then every so often you got cards in the mail, the same as the judge program works now. Um and I think that's just a fantastic model that they should go back to. I, I would actually think about this and I would check my, uh, God, I don't even remember what it was before then because it was pre-Planeswalker points. But um, they had it was basically a loyalty program. It said the more you play in person, the more you support this store, the more awesome stuff we're going to give you. And it was yes. free yes. for them. and Well, not free. I, I think at the time when they canceled it, somebody had said the prevalent rumor was it was due to shipping costs. Um, and that makes sense because especially with the international presence of Magic, having to mail all these things internationally doesn't seem like terribly feasible. But at the same time, like it was so cool. The thing is the program the program doesn't even need to be international if it's that expensive to do it that way. And it would be fine if it was North America only and or North America plus Japan or something. Those are usually usually how they do things. And um, you could distribute through your local game store. Now, there's potential for fraud with these with these kind of programs where if there was a special card that was available to these programs, you can register a bunch of false accounts or whatever. But there are ways to audit and ad- address that. Let's just assume that you can figure that out. Magic is desperately in need of a loyalty program. Uh, not connecting the dots between the DCI number and your, I've said this many times before, not connecting the dots between your DCI number and what you purchase and what you purchase it, why you purchase it is a massive failing in their marketing intelligence engine. And because it doesn't cost them any more (laughs) money to print a card um, for this program than otherwise. Like just because the card is going to be 40 when it gets to us doesn't mean it costs them 40 to print it, right? It's the same one cent a card or whatever to print it. Um, and so promos like that are highly effective marketing tools. I remember getting a package in the mail once with four of the foil, uh, foil textless wrath of gods. And I was blown away. I mean, those cards look amazing and it absolutely encouraged me to go play more magic. Anyway, I digress. I think the Antiquities War um, may end up being a thing. I think Phyrexian Scriptures has a shot. Antiquities War is only a rare, if I'm not mistaken, but Scriptures is a mythic. Um, So it has a a bigger chance of being a thing. Um, Tashar, Ancestor's Apostle in Modern. That card looks super busted to me. 224 cost and cost flyer. Whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from 
your graveyard to the battlefield. I got some cheap Russian foils of Torgar, Famine, Incarnate the other day because I saw some cool lists for Modern um, where you Goryo's Vengeance him back in play. That's so gross. <laughs> you go Faithless Looting. Next turn, Torgar. When he enters the battlefield, the guy loses 10 life. In Modern, it's probably more like 8 life, but yeah. Sure, because he fetched or whatever. But and then you hit for yeah, 7. He lo- he loses, you know. They lose 6 to 8 life, and then he's got haste and hits for 7. That That is a lot of damage really fast. <laughs> I, I can believe that that list is real. And the and yeah. So this list was 2 Liliana of the Veil, Jace Vryn's Prodigy, 2 Monastery Mentor, an Architects of Will, 2 Obzadot Ghost Council, 2 Torgar, Inquisition of Kozlek, Thoughtseize, Collective Brutality, two Whispers of Emrakul, um, three Lingering Souls. So I don't even know what Whispers of Emrakul does. That's a hymn to Turok. If you have Delirium. delirium. Oh, yeah. Gross. (laughs) Uh, Search for Azkanta, Mistress Bobble, Fatal Push, Path to Exile, Thought Scour, and Goryeo's Vengeance. This deck looks vicious. That is, that does sound pretty uh, terrifying. I got one more thing I want to ask you about, James, and then we'll probably end up wrapping it up. Um, sure. The uncommons. We alluded to this before. Damping Sphere, uh, we were talking about it briefly before the show. Damping Sphere is an uncommon. And um, when it yep. when the leaks happened, uh, everybody probably assumed it was a rare. I know that I uh, posted some screenshots of people who had bought uh pre-ordered for ten dollars because they thought it was <laughs> going to be a rare yes. so yes, yes yes is this going to be like fatal push they knew fatal push could have been a rare that level of removal has traditionally been rare like um heroes down well, well no because except it hasn't because path to exile and swords were both uncommon well right? path to exile and swords are from like a different era of magic i'm gonna swords especially Path, path, path is modern. I mean, and lightning bolt and lightning bolt. Shards of Alara, that was Prees and the car. Sure, 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 sure. But my point is that great kill that is intended for modern had that's at one casting cost has almost never been rare because of the problems that that might create. Um, but your point still stands, which is that uncommons are not actually that much less rare than rares and if they are in high enough demand they still can pop i don't think damping sphere meets those criteria because it is primarily a sideboard card for modern and supply is going to get very deep on that card um by midsummer by that so that line of thinking it would have been what would you think as a sideboard card because it's good against two at least two good archetypes yeah, and, and it's Tron, not yeah. just good against Storm and Tron. Like the fact that it adds that tax is really good against the control decks who want to like opt or serum visions first and then do something else. You know, it's a really powerful effect. I've thrown this into commander decks and watched people just writhe in pain because they want to they want to cast that... all five of their spells at once. But it it would have been. I... I think the ten dollars is a reasonable jumping off point for the card, and I think it would have ended up at more. And even so, like the foils on Damping Sphere are really high too. I'm gonna look that up real quick. Yeah, they're already high. I think that they're gonna peak, 30. and then 
retrigger. $30. How much? Yeah, it's way too high. That's not the buy-in point. The you get if you need them in the in the interim, you get your non-foil copies, and midsummer you look for a sale on foils when supply is like ultra deep. There's no way like every all the modern players that need it are gonna get it, and then they're gonna have it, and demand is gonna fall off a cliff. So the as a long-term foil appreciator, I think it's gonna get a window maybe. 18 months out to 36 months out before it gets sees another reprinting where the foils appreciate pretty hard. But again, it's an uncommon, not a rare or a mythic. So it's not even close to at the top of my priority list. Um, and I think like other cards like Song of Fraley's that look like they're modern playable um, and maybe the Mending of Dominaria, that one triggers my spider senses. That's the three, the five casting cost one that says, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and then return all land cards from your graveyard uh, graveyard to the battlefield. Um, that's a rare and probably EDH playable, but I think those foils are going to get plenty well, low before uh, you need the to The bigger question is, is it signaling that a card which would have been a rare, like Damping Sphere, uh, is Wizards making a more concerted effort to lower some prices? Yes. All right. Yes, I agree. I think they definitely are. I think that's exactly why there are there are at least five or six uncommons in this set that could have been at a higher rarity. And where there are thematic cards at Mythic that could have been at a lower rarity easily and swapped with some of these more important cards. And I think that's a good move. Like I, I it's not it, <laughs> there's no shortage of opportunities for MTG finance. So nobody on on that side of things needs to be rooting for every card to be mythic, that's for sure. Um it's you want the game to be healthy. You want people to be able to access the major formats, um, to experiment with new decks, to have fun with the cards, to feel like they are not uh they don't have to pay to win necessarily. Um, and that will always be an aspect of the game no matter what. But this this set is hitting a very pitch-perfect note. H- hitting it out of the park on theme. Hitting it Value. out of the park on nostalgia. Really interesting, really interesting mechanics. Um, and an interesting mix of great cards at each rarity that um, I think are knocking some players off balance. Like I think people are having trouble interpreting how good sagas are um, until they've played them in decks. And there's a bunch of weird cards that whose usages are not going to be immediately apparent. Like for instance, I don't think people realize that Tetsuko Umazawa fugitive one in a blue for a one, three doesn't read creatures. You control with power uh, one or less can't be blocked. It reads creatures. You control with power, toughness, one or less toughness, power or toughness. One or less can't be blocked. So if you have a 10-1, it can't be blocked I think they just printed either. the 9-3, so I'm, I'm not sure where the 10-1 is going to come in. And I don't remember the name of the 8-0 from Future Site or Planar Chaos or whatever that's called. <laughs> which which yeah, only works if it's, have, if it's actually uh, like bigger, right? The, one of the, the blacksmith or something, the uncommon that raises all your toughnesses by one. Yeah. My, my point being just that I think there are cards in this set that are difficult to evaluate. Um, and that people are going to find uses for oh, it later. I mean, Whisper Blood Liturgist, um, three three black, two, two, sack two creatures, return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's the best reanimation spell we've seen in a while um, because in modern, yeah, that could um, potentially be happening turn three. 
make a couple of tokeny things and then sack this and bring back some crazy thing from your yep, graveyard. All you need is to keep whisper and play, and we'll see if that's a uh, a possibility. I'm not I'm not sold, but uh, I do like the idea of um, the Gorio's Vengeance decks, the Grishol Bland, uh, adding in the um, what was the one where you sacrificed to cost him less and does the half half the life? I forget his name already. Yeah, that guy. Torgar, Feminine Torgar, incarnate. just fun to say, too. Torgar. Yeah. Torgar. Sylvan, Sylvan Awakening could reinvigorate um, Jeskai Ascendancy in Modern because that's the sorcery two and a green. Until your next turn, all your lands you control become two two elemental creatures with reach, indestructible, and haste. So nobody can do anything to the lands because, like, one of the. So basically, you get to. Tap the lands, cast a thing, which untaps all your creatures, and your lands are creatures, so now your lands are all untapped. Every time you cast something, your lands are untapped. Uh, that's crazy pants. <laughs> uh, if I have one more thing for everybody who's listening, uh, I would uh, advocate that we all pick up uh, our copies of Cast Down and Seal Away right now. Uh, they're going to go down a little bit, but and there's probably going to be some FNM versions floating around, but my god, Cast Down is good. And it's not as broken in standard as it might be, considering that we got to kill like Lyra, Dawnbringer, and Torgar, and all these other uh, broken ones. But I think Cast Down has a lot of modern potential. Two mana to kill almost anything in play is pretty outstanding. No, no, no. Any tapped That's Seal Away. And, and Seal Away is still very good. Uh, but Cast Down is the destroy target non-legendary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I you do, think Cast Down is uh, modern play? legends get played in modern? Name me five. Thalia. Okay, one. Tassiger. Two. Azuri. Azuri? Um, the elf guy? Yeah, okay. Renegade. Right, right, fine, sure. fine, fine, Renegade fine. leader. Yeah. Um, the other Thalia. <laughs> the other Thalia? Sure. Sure, that's um, four. Uh, apparent, according to Biotes recently, Isamaru. <laughs> uh, into, oh, God, into, that's Mox Amber speculation. Yeah. You get that shit right out of here. Yeah, dude. into Mox Amber, into Thalia on turn one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, for all those who want to do it, Legion's Landing and Mox Amber do not play well together. Don't fall for that. So I'm not saying that there aren't targets for cast down. It's not like the whole format is Legends. What I'm saying is that Fatal Push is already so good um, that there are very few cards that you need to kill with cast down that Fatal Push won't take care of. But, and if it was exiling, it would be a much bigger deal than destroying because destroying a Worm Coil engine... Uh, isn't necessarily what you want to be doing. Targeting a reality smasher isn't necessarily what you're you're going to be super excited about having to do. So yeah, I think that, those cards are good anyway. And, those are and you also have um, geez, what's the card? The minus five, minus five with Phyrexian mana. Oh, dismember. Right, because it, it fights for a slot with dismember as like a one or a two of right. So as an uncommon, I'm certainly not excited about it financially. I think you're right that everybody wants to have it in their toolkit, and I think it'll see play, but I just don't think it's going to be a big deal. No, it's not, especially because there are promo versions coming. Yeah. I mean, I love the art on this card. It's gorgeous. I just don't think it's going to be like anything I need to worry about financially. Fair enough. Um, I am curious about Wizards Lightning and Wizards Retort, whether like extra lightning bolts and counter spells at two mana are worth building around some wizards and even if that is silly now whether it won't be later you know 
you already have Dark Confidant and Snapcaster Mage to start with, and it's some kind of Grixis Wizard's shell. Oh, God, I hadn't even thought about Snapcaster with the stupid cards. Yeah. Oh. So, and so, and you could What's, run Mutables. Um, is Grim Lavamancer a wizard, or is it a shaman? Uh, Lavamancer is... And Grim Lavamancer is a, is a wizard. All right. So you can run you can run Lavamancer and Snaps, and I'm sure there are some other interesting wizards. There's even a couple of wizards in this set that might make that right. Like you have the uh, what's the legendary uh-huh. guy, uh, Nabon Dean of Inter- Iteration for one and a blue. If a wizard entering the battlefield causes a trigger to ability or of a permanent you control to trigger the ability I triggers think, twice. Uh, you're you're trying a little too hard um also don't forget storm chaser mage i believe is a wizard too the flying uh prowess guy yeah. i'm gonna float all this this bs past todd stevens next week um oh yeah i should announce this to everybody todd stevens star city games player of the year um an all-around great streamer is going to be on the cast next week doing the the our official review of the Dom- Dominaria set, and this is exactly the kind of nonsense I like to have him kick me in the teeth over. I don't think he's going to kick you in the teeth. He'll probably gently guide your teeth to something hard and say, why don't you bite on that instead? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not clear that you actually want eight lightning bolts in modern right now. Um, what a statement that so, is. Well, it's, it, it really isn't. It's true. <laughs> the, but anyway, um, fantastic set. Looking forward to talking about it with with Todd and Travis next week. I think we've uh, covered the bases for this week, my friend. So maybe we'll wrap it up. Uh, where can people find you online, Cliff? You can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on MTGPrice.com. Uh, you guys can find me at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on MTG Price. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access, access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. James, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Give me a call whenever uh, you or Travis are busy spending uh, gross Bitcoin money or whatever it is you two are up to in the frozen Northeast. Fantastic to have you on Castic and Cliff, and we'll see you all next week with Travis on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.